Hey everyone, Ed Helms here. You might know me as Andy from The Office or Stu from The Hangover, or you might know me as the co-founder of BGS. I know, I'm just as surprised as you. They let me co-found something. But here's the thing, we're doing it again. Yeah, this time we're leaping into our other deep love, the vast and vibrant world of country music with something we're calling Good Country. Now this isn't just another newsletter. Think of Good Country as a place. A place where you can explore, learn, and dig into all of what makes country good. Seriously, country music has so much going on these days, and it's coming from so many different deep and soulful places, and we're here to cover all of it. Just as we've done for Bluegrass and Roots Music at BGS for over a decade. So sign up now at goodcountrybgs.substack.com and let us bring you the many sides of country music straight to your inbox. Good country. It's a nice place to be. Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where They've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else. And then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with mm. other women and mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. From BGS and Osiris Media, you're listening to The Shift List, where chefs talk about the music that fills their kitchens, restaurants, and recipes. I'm Chris Jacobs. This week on the show, a mainstay of the Denver food scene with an ever-growing list of both homegrown and high-concept restaurants, Justin Cucci of Root Down, Linger, Ophelia's, L5, and more. So of all the people I've talked to for the shift list, Justin really does straddle the line of someone who is equally obsessed with food and music. A New York City native, he grew up revering the chefs and culture at the Waverly Inn, a West Village dining institution that was owned and operated by his grandparents as a kid. And around the same time, Justin started playing in bands, and he continues to do so to this day. He opened Root Down, his first restaurant in Denver over a decade ago, transforming it from a gas station to a neighborhood restaurant with a cult following that serves globally influenced seasonal cuisine with a focus on organic, natural, and locally sourced ingredients. It's one of the first quote-unquote farm-to-table restaurants I'd ever been to, and it features two on-site gardens, which not only provides seasonal vegetables for the restaurant, but also for its sister restaurants, Linger and Ophelia's. There's even a route down now at Denver International Airport, one of the main reasons my wife and I like to book a long layover in the city. Justin has infused music into the culture and business of all of his restaurants. Each one of their business entities is named after a Steely Dan song, for example, and you'll find out what each of them are very soon. Fair warning, there is plenty of Steely Dan in this episode, so yacht rockers rejoice. I sat down with Justin recently in Root Down's office upstairs from the restaurant. So without further ado, this is one of Denver's finest, Mr. Justin Cucci. Justin Cucci, I am originally from uh, New York, 
as I'm sure my accent might still reveal. And I uh, was born and raised there until I was almost 30 and then uh, moved to Key West for about a decade and then ended up in Denver and was lucky enough to put together Root Down here about 10 years ago. And then from there, opened a bunch of other restaurants, uh, Linger, I got to remember these are all my kids now, Linger, uh, Root Down DIA, Ophelia's, Vital Root, and L5, and now the Family Jones next door as well. You know, Edible Beats, we are trying to name this group of diverse restaurant that has a common philosophy and ethos, but each one really has its own identity. There is no sometimes identifiable thread that goes through it except our ethos, but the result of that ethos is very different in food, uh, very different in design and ambiance. So when it came time to name the group, um, you know, threw in a lot of names, but it had to be musical in my mind. Um, music is definitely something that uh, I think, you know, is a fight for me internally on what's number one or what's number two. Is it food? Is it music? And they're battling all the time in my head. And many, much of the way I describe food and, and hospitality and the way restaurants work is in musical terms. So I'm always introducing or talking about things in very musical ways. And I don't talk about a team. I talk about a band, you know, and I talk about like, how does a band when they're really good at what they do. How does that energy and synergy happen? A team has a competitive thing for it, and there's a lot of testosterone in the room. And so there I can took, be, There can be competitive bands, but that's they, don't, true. they don't last very long. That's so. true as well, exactly. So a lot of it was, you know, sort of foundational to what we already talk about. You know, Root Down really is a musical term from, a, you know, originally a Beastie Boys album and then uh, Jimmy Smith's album. And so that started it. It was just naming it after a musical thing. Ophelia's is after the band song Ophelia's. So we had music as part of our DNA. So it felt um, like we had to have a musical name. And the play on edible beats, it could be a red beat, but it's spelled as a musical beats. And I just felt like that's what we do when we do it right. We're, we're having edible music, so to speak. Uh, do all the other restaurants have a musical connection in the name? They don't necessarily in the um, obvious way. So in other words, L5 doesn't, Vital Root doesn't, but all of them, um, their company names, the LLC that's registered with a state that's on everyone's paycheck, every one of those is musical because they're all named after a Steely Dan lyric or Steely Dan song. You got to go through all of them. So, Root Down is Semi Mojo, um, and that's from Haitian Divorce. Semi Mojo, who's this king? Uh, Linger is Gold Teeth, and that's from the song Gold Teeth, where the protagonist had only his gold teeth to gamble. Ophelia's is Chain Lightning, and uh, Chain Lightning's another song which is just about the power of like a crowd. Uh, Root Down DIA, which is Babylon's sister. That was a sister to Root Down, and so I just thought, there's my Babylon sister. Babylon sister. Vital Root is Pearl of the Quarter. My baby's a pearl of the quarter. L5 is Kid Charlemagne. So 
before we go into anything else, I, I want you to talk to me about your love of Steely Dan and, and why they, they loom so large in your life. Yeah, they're always part of my golden trilogy of bands. You know, Steely Dan was always in the trilogy along with James Brown and the Grateful Dead. So I've always had this like interesting trilogy of things that are incongruent to each other, each bringing its own thing. But Steely Dan was like growing up in New York, having a good sense of probably, you know, Jewish New York sarcasm and dark humor and the levels and the some of the... Um, I don't know, the shading of what they do always left a good amount to the imagination. So um, their words, as much as their music, have never been, I've never been able to crack the code of why I listen to them. I've never gotten tired of um, having that, like, that's amazing moment where you listen to them and it's like, that's amazing. That lyric's amazing. That bridge is amazing. This song is amazing. And so that's why they're probably still in the trilogy, because still at this time, you know, and I think for 35 years I've been listening to them. When the technical proficiency that they bring, especially in their studio recordings, is not prevalent at all with a band like the Grateful Dead. Correct. It's the almost the opposite. The The best thing I heard about them is, is like a lot of people are like, well, it's too polished and it sounds like elevator music. But then I heard um, yeah. one of the, I think it was Steve Carlton, who used to be their musical director, or Larry Carlton, the guitar player. He says... Steely Dan is, what they do is they try and push you to perfection and then past it. And I believe that. I believe that their music is not perfect. It's imperfect on the other side of perfection. Like they've gotten there, now they're going downhill a little bit. It's different if you've never reached perfection. And that's like stuck with me and that's how I feel like their music is. It's like they decided to go past perfection and go down the mountain a little bit. So I think it was just their ethos. I think, you know, um, having a New York connection um, as well as just, I don't know, I grew up from them really, um, I don't know how I discovered them, but I know that every chef that I knew who was older than me by at least a decade, like when I was in my teens, I knew a lot of chefs in their 20s and 30s. They all swore by the religion of Steely Dan in their kitchens. So that's good. So when you were in your teens, did you start working in kitchens in New York? I didn't. I started working in the front of the house because we had a family business. Um, and one of the people who ironically, and I hate name dropping, but I'm going to drop it because it sounds like context here. Yeah. Part of your story is, um, Anthony Bourdain, uh, his best friend was my mother's boyfriend for about a decade. So seeing Anthony Bourdain and his friend, Sam around me a lot, I saw them as like these sort of, you know, gods of chefdom, even before I really knew what it meant to be a chef. I was more of a front of the house kid, but they swore by two things, Apocalypse Now and Steely Dan. And I found those before I met them. And so when I got confirmation from these badass ninjas, um, and I was like, wait, you also believe in this shit? I thought as a 13 or 15-year-old kid, it was speaking to me. But it's like, so it was really affirming to hear guys like that still talk about Apocalypse Now as like movies they had seen 15 times and referenced the line. And the same with Steely Dan. So music and food, you already said, are competing in your brain as far as, as, as which, which has a higher priority. So maybe talk about that decision to go into one professionally over the other and, yeah, that evolution. Yeah, so I, it, I've always played in bands and I've always loved playing music. Never felt like I had the balls or character to actually try and make a, a living out of it. Um, but anyway... I had grown up in the restaurant business. My grandparents owned a pretty well-known restaurant, again, name-dropping the Waverly Inn. 
Your grandparents owned the uh, yeah. ran the Wa- Waverly Inn. Yeah, for I guess about thirty six years. So I grew up there. It's not name dropping if it's your grandparents. It's yeah, and I I mean that's where I learned. I mean my love of the restaurant and every position I've done in the front of the house was there. Like from bartender to server to manager to GM to my the books, everything I learned about being a chef came afterwards because the two chefs there, side note, were both chefs there for no less than 40 years. So when I was the teenage grandson wanting to get in the kitchen, they were both imposing, towering, powerful black men from the South. They would grab my arm at times and funnily enough tell me like they were going to like do something terrible to me if I set foot in their kitchen. So I had this like fear of setting foot in their kitchen until I learned to understand as I got to be 18 and over that they were just fucking with me and they were just like uh, making sure I wasn't some spoiled kid running through the restaurant. It gave you a reverence though. It, It definitely did. And so it did give me a reverence for the kitchen and I've had it so much so that I didn't get to really learn about sort of what it meant to cook and be a chef until I was in my 30s. Huh. So I had a gap of like never really interested in it. I always hired somebody else to do it. I always loved food, of course, but I had no interest in it. So by the time I went into my own business, um, I was playing music. I was in a band and I was starting to cook. And so I found these two things pushing and pulling. But I knew that clearly there was one that was a safer choice that I would be able to do with a much uh, a higher level of uh, normalcy in my life. And that was just being a chef, which a lot of people say is the most abnormal schedule. But like yeah. when you put the two on the table, being a chef is way more normal than being in a band. Or consistent. Consistent for sure. And so it just felt like I, um, you know, that was what I had probably put most of my time and energy to was my restaurant business. The band thing was always something I made time for or I'd like work the extra hours to achieve. But uh, it was inconsistent to say the most, the least. Do you remember um, the, since you mentioned the Waverly, do you remember there being music there growing up as a kid or was it kind of something that was just peripheral or even not important? Because I feel it like music and space and experiences has kind of evolved in restaurants over the last 20, 30 years or so. It's great that you say that. Waverly Inn had no music 95% of the time because there was no affordable sound systems that weren't PA that you could run from what? Records? How are you going to run that music back in the day? Or you had to have a CD changer and my grandparents were old school. So the only time we had music was Sunday brunch. And I will say that Sunday brunch, they had live either classical guitar player Um, you know, maybe sort of singer-songwriter, nothing artistic, but very effective for setting a tone throughout the restaurant that just got a different feeling there. And so early on, the absence of music was normal, but the addition of music was so special that it just really accentuated how amazing it was to transform a space that only had a guy with six strings and you know, an acoustic guitar, no sound PA, nothing. I bet people that went to brunch probably went and actually listened. A hundred percent. To the music. People were like looking at him a lot of the time and paying attention to what he did and applauding. And it really, back in the day, at least those days, I think it had a much more intimate thing to it yeah. that uh, people really responded to it. Um, beginning of the night 
I would play some Alice Russell, who I don't know what genre she is, but I just find no matter what song I hear of hers, it always feels like uh, the right place in the right time, which is amazing. It's hard for artists to do that. So Alice Russell would easily be in the beginning of the night. Also, maybe something from like, if I was going to go old school, little Bill Withers, because I do think like most of Bill Withers is completely underappreciated. Obviously, he has his hits, but I think so much of his stuff runs the gauntlet from like just some of the hardest hitting acoustic funk that exists to just like, you know, just like some really feel good music. Um, then it might be interspersed with some just sort of like entry-level jazz, you know, something that just feels good that you don't really care who it is. You just know it sounds good, which might be like some Art Pepper. Like, again, somebody who I never heard about growing up, I had Amazon turn me on to Art Pepper. I would just say the beginning, beginning of the night is about major key, right? It's about just sort of daylight music. It feels good. Um, it has maybe just sort of like a good feeling to it. Then as we roll into dinner, I would say maybe it's about getting a little bit more, um, I think, you know, some dub elements and sub, some um, reggae elements that are not dub and reggae. Some of those I would say is like Herbalizer. That's a great band. I think they're out of England. And I feel like that's just, their songs are elongated. And so in the beginning of the night, I don't want to have too many like things changing. So it's like about building some flow and that's when I'll put longer songs on. And I think so much Herbalizer is like, it's either like hip hop that doesn't sound like hip hop or it's like dubbed out sort of English funky reggae. So some Herbalizers there. Holly Cook is another one that I think is great. She does do reggae, but I would put her on the beginning of the night because it's just a little bit elastic. So, you know, I think from there, maybe it would be like some uh, another band that I think is so hard to categorize as Fat Freddy Drops and definitely interspersed the middle of the night with maybe some like diggable planets because it's starting to feel like I feel like when restaurants are full, everybody feels like urban a little bit, like busy restaurants that have a line and the bars pop and there's an urbanity to it. That's when I would probably throw in some like diggable planets, um, hip hop. Oh, another band, Escort, is just like in the middle of night, I think uh, when you're busy, when it's, you know, um, flowing, Escort is another band. There are a bunch of like DJs who would spin 70s and 80s disco and funk and soul. And then they put a band together that really celebrated it in what would feel like the most obvious way which it is, but it's so satisfying. Um, and then finishing the night is then maybe winding it down a little bit. That's when some of that sort of minor key jazz, when it's drawing out Miles Davis, um, trying to think what else would be, Breakbot. He's like a French DJ who also just has really interesting music. Um, I don't know why I'd think of him at the end of the night.
I don't know. End of the night's hard because I look for more like soundscapes, something that doesn't stop and start, stop and start. Jazz is great for it. I think some electronica. I think I'm not really hip on electronica, but I think Miguel has some tracks that I put on things. It's also you want to play stuff that's not going to keep people in the room. <laughs> well, to a degree, yeah. You, I mean, it, when it's time to go, it's like, yeah. So maybe you're like making it a little bit of a run-on sentence when it's like it's really, really nice and now it starts to feel repetitive. So it's like you want it to be both at the right time in the right place. Well, I was actually going to ask you, um, what is your uh, philosophy on volume in restaurants? Mm. So glad you asked that. Volume is something that, to this day, I am almost always correcting when I go into the restaurants. It's really hard for people to understand it because once they understand one piece of it, it's like you have to unlearn that is to this moment. And what I mean there is sometimes I'll say, okay, see how it's full right now? Music should be a little bit past like seasoning something, right? You make it just a little salty, right? And then, but you see how it is right now? It's empty. Here's where you really want to lay off the salt and you want people to like add their own salt. So I think music should almost always be below. It's like a bass player. You shouldn't know he's there, but if he's not there, you should say, there's no bass, right? And and that's how I feel it should be. I don't, I'm not trying to highlight the music. I'm just trying to create it so that like when you're not thinking about things and you're experiencing what you're experiencing, it all works. But as soon as it's loud, it takes over. And so I feel like most of the time I'm, turning music down when it should be higher and I'm turning it higher when it should be really just like background. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe at the peak of the night when you want everyone to really love this vibe of this restaurant and this food and this, like the music can go a little bit so it like meets that energy but still shouldn't go above it. Probably the word that I think runs through all my restaurants from the atmosphere to the food is context. So I think in that way, I probably hold music as incredibly contextual and that the moment is what drives the music usually, not the other way around. Although I've had moments where the music has made the moment, but it is definitely, um, you know, sometimes something that um, is outside of, you know, myself. Thanks to Justin Cucci, founder, chef, and owner of the Edible Beats Restaurant Group in Denver. Head to our link on the podcast page at bluegrasssituation.com to check out his playlist and visit ediblebeats.com to make a reservation at any of his restaurants next time you find yourself in Denver. The Shift List is produced by me, Chris Jacobs. Our executive producer is Amy Reitenauer, with help, as always, from the entire BGS team, including associate editor Justin Hiltner, marketing guru Joseph Klingel, and all the amazing writers and contributors that make BGS the best source for Roots culture redefined. Special thanks to Osiris Media. Check out their entire roster of music and culture podcasts over at osirispod.com. If you love The Shift List, please leave us a review or rating over at itunes.com slash theshiftlist. I'm Chris Jacobs. Thanks for listening.